0: Hello and welcome to episode 100 of Sensational She live from Yancey Street. This week, our episode is going to be hosted by myself and my husband Adam. He's going to be coming in more towards the end when we talk about the shows, movies, and animes. The rest of the episode will be more or less straightforward, but we usually do, starting with card number 13 of the major arcana in our tarot studies, and that is the death card. So we'll talk a little bit about the Black Plague, the Grim Reaper, stuff like that. Um, description, symbolism, uh, and truck because that is our anime tarot <laughs> reference for that one. That's very fun. There's a couple of manga things. I'll talk briefly about the DC comic mangas that have started coming out as of last week, I believe. Uh, as I've read a couple of those, they're very fun, so we'll talk about that. Um, the Most of the news for comic books is going to be big two um kickoffs for October. They've released what they're doing in October, and so I've gathered all the list of new things and one-shots and all of that, and so we'll talk about what all of those are. Some really cool things, uh, some really funny sounding things, and some kind of less than great sounding things, so we'll talk all about what those are. Going into, after that, what I've read recently in comics, which is, yes, going to include all of the Night Terrors issues I've caught up on Night Tears number one, as well as, uh, up until today, every of the uh, two shots that have come out, which are all still on number ones currently. And then we'll mention briefly what is going to be new next week, starting today and going into tomorrow for new comic book week. And that leaves us with TV movies and anime, which will start with what is new and noteworthy, including what has got English dubs for the summer anime season. Uh, and we're very excited to talk about They Clone Tyrone, 10 out of 10 fantastic in the news and announcements we have a fair amount that's come from san diego comic-con as well as some thoughts on the lack of what you might call hollywood there this year um and then of course the marvels trailer is going to be my biggest portion of the podcast uh individually and i'm going to break that one down talk all of the characters the comic book counterparts and the theories is a fair amount of theories And I would just like to say right now that I'm going to be calling out one article in particular uh, that tried to put people into thinking that one of these characters is Carol Danvers' husband from the comics. That is just frankly untrue. All of that to be covered later in the episode. Finally, Strange New Worlds Season 2 actually had two episodes this week. Episode 6 and then Episode 7 showed up over the weekend for Comic-Con and we'll end the episode talking about the latest of Secret Invasion. If you are at all interested in chatting about whatever really you might feel like, your life, nerdy stuff, not nerdy stuff, um, we have the Yancy Street Discord that Adam and I are the mods of. Uh, it's, It's just us and a couple of people right now, but we would absolutely love it if others were to join. Um, just like-minded folks, really, to talk about whatever the heck you want. If you don't see, if you join, you don't see a category for something that you like to talk about, and it doesn't really fit in the kind of general discussion, we would love to add that category for you to have a place to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, other than that, you can add either he or myself or both of us on social media. We mostly use, um, well, I guess Instagram and Threads is a new thing, I guess. I'm um, trying to slowly get off of Twitter, so I guess I should add myself on that as well. Um, but aside from the podcast, it's available, it's just available pretty much everywhere, but podcast stream, including YouTube. I have my website and my YouTube channel. website has everything that I was doing written um, of basically what the podcast is before I started the podcast, uh, as well as all the podcast notes, if you want to kind of read along or follow along with how I had planned out the podcast in case you want to do that, or for the hearing impaired. On my YouTube channel, I also have um, a lot of action figure review videos. The most recent one that that I put up was Power from Chainsaw Man, so that was a really fun one to make. Um, She also comes with Meowie, her little cat friend, which was an absolute delight to discover had feet. So you can check all of that out and more on my YouTube channel. And that is all linked in the description below. Getting going now with our tarot lessons. As I said, the card of the week is card number 13 of the Major Arcana, Death. So we're talk history, which much of which is taken from the delightful resource tarot-heritage.com. Um, they break the description and symbolism and interpretations and all kinds of stuff down really, really well. Um, And then I also have the pop culture references found in Marvel Tarot and the anime Tarot by Natasha Iglesias. And we'll wrap it up with a nice neat little summary here. So starting off with the somewhat um, morbid history of the death card of Tarot. The earliest death cards were gruesome, sort of like the cursed pirates in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. The macabre was a high taste in the 15th century, after a number of historical events. The Black Plague started in 1347 and killed approximately 30-60% to 60% of Europe's entire population at that time. Rotting corpses were a common sight, as the living couldn't keep up with the burials. Entire families were walled into their homes and left to die and rot to protect the uninfected. Obsession with the decomposing dead became a way to cope. The trend culminated in early 15th to mid 15th century, when tarot was first being invented, and a humanistic perspective and appreciation for the individual was being emphasized for really the first time in modern recognized history. The three living and three dead is a literary theme predating the plague. According to the story that it comes from, Three noblemen who went out hunting in the forest encounter three rather lively corpses in three stages of decomposition. The corpses utter a popular medieval meme, What are you you, we once were, what we are you will become. These illustrations show a twist in the story, where you have a pope, a bishop, and a king confronted by three corpses who mock the figures by wearing the same sort of headgear. The plague was also an eye-opener because it took all people without indiscrimination, with indiscriminatorily, the rich, the poor, the royal, and the humble. The Dance of Death, or the Dance Macabre, is a popular art theme of the time, showing death taking away all kinds of people. Wall frescoes of the Dance of Death illustrated actual performances staged in cemeteries, An actor in a bodysuit, painted with skeleton bones, would pop out of the charnel house and dance away with actors dressed as the various ranks of society, from pope to laborer. Arrows were associated with the plague, since death from the plague came swiftly and unexpectedly, like an arrow firing silently through the air. People prayed to St. Sebastian, who was martyred by being pierced for arrows for protection from the plague. Death as the Grim Reaper mowing people down as if harvesting wheat appeared in art after the plague. The Grim Reaper on horseback trampling different types of people was the most popular depiction of death on tarot cards during the 15th century. The images come from the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible. The book of Revelations chapter 6 verse 8 says, And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. The skeleton in fifteenth century Italian decks is actively killing people. Like the plague, he was an agent of death. It's difficult for us to appreciate how the original owners of these decks saw this card. This was a time when over half of all children died before they reached adulthood, when mothers rarely reached age thirty due to childbirth complications, and when lives were constantly just being disrupted because parents, lovers, and business partners would suddenly die from inexplicable causes. By the end of the 15th century, the Renaissance was well underway and attitudes toward portraying death were changing. Flesh over bones and exposed innards were replaced by generic skeletons. The church began actively repressing superstitious folklore while emphasizing the official teaching that at death the soul separates from the body with no possibility to return. If you see a ghost, a living skeleton, or a dead relative, it has to be a demon. At the same time, death was becoming medicalized as the moment the heartbeat and breathing stopped. There was no longer a place for a transitional afterlife state, nor for lively skeletons dancing in graveyards. But the Grim Reaper persisted in popular folklore and he maintained his position in the tarot deck. In the 18th century, when cartomancy books became popular, the concept of death as transformation rather than an absolute end was firmly in place. The fortune teller Italia's Cartomancy books had an enormous influence on how the cards were interpreted. His exceptionally negative interpretation of the death card may have come from a lost oral tradition. He said this card was about the failure of projects and the loss of hope, as well as corruption, putrefaction, and destruction. Evidently, no one paid attention to him. Authors in the Terre de Marseille tradition are unanimous in saying that death means the end, of something that needs to end anyway. Being paired to the bone implies an elimination of unnecessary baggage and it carries with it the hope of a new beginning." My untimely laughter is because of the cat crying, not because of what I'm reading. Just clarifying that. French occultists like Elf- Eliphas Levi and Oswald Worth stayed with the Terror de Marseille imagery while doubling down on the death as transformation theme. The occultist said death promotes life by clearing away what is old, worn out, and ready to be disposed of, so something new and better can take its place. The heads and hands sticking out of the ground tell us our ideas and deeds will live on after our death. Our next topic is the description and symbolism of the death card. The weightsmith death card turns to late medieval imagery by showing death on a horse trampling various ranks of people. A king lies dead on the ground, his crown under the horse's hoof. The bishop begs death for another chance at life. The woman is either fainting or turning away in denial, while the innocent child seems curious about what's happening. Waite tells us the hanged man is mystical death, while this card describes physical death. Symbolism of the Rosicrucians, Freemasons, and Knights Templar fill the card, most prominently the white rose on the flag. The New Jerusalem, silhouetted against the rising sun, is the promise of eternal life at the end of the mystical journey. The stream coming from the Garden of Eden demonstrates the eternal circulation of energy. Water evaporates, becomes clouds, then condenses into rain and flows into the stream again. The skeleton in armor is borrowed from an etching by Albrecht Dürer. I also have a quick little uh, description of the symbolism from the Biddy Terra site because it is a little bit different. And I think it kind of translates a somewhat more modern take on the card. So what she has to say about that is, The death card shows the messenger of death, a skeleton dressed in black armor riding a white horse. The skeleton represents the part of the body which survives long after life has left it. The armor symbolizes invincibility and that death will come no matter what. Its dark color is that of mourning and the mysterious, while the horse is the color of purity and acts as a symbol of strength and power. Death carries a black flag decorated with a white, five-petal rose, reflecting beauty, purification, and immortality, and the number five representing change. Together, these symbols reveal that death isn't just about life ending. Death is about endings and beginnings, birth and rebirth, change and transformation. There is beauty in death, and it is an inherent part of being alive. A royal figure appears to be dead on the ground, while a young woman, child, and bishop plead with the skeletal figure to spare them. But, as we all know, death spares no one. In the background, a a boat flows down the river, akin to the mythological boats escorting the dead to the afterlife. On the horizon, the sun sets between two towers, which also appear in the Moon Tarot card, in a sense of dying each night and right being born again each morning. And then we have the interpretation and meaning of the card, starting with Waite, who in 1910, well, you know, he was a rather dramatic fellow, he says the death card stands for the end, mortality, destruction, corruption. Also for a man, the loss of a benefactor, and for a woman, many contraries. For a maid, failure of marriage projects. Cool. That was nineteen ten. Reverse. He says inertia, sleep, lethargy, petrification, somnambulism, and hope destroyed. Nice. Okay. Um, But anyway, more modern sources would describe it as upright, endings, change, transformation, transition, reversed resistance resistance to change, personal transformation, and inner purging. To elaborate, after a period of pause and reflection with the hanged man, the death card symbolizes the end of a major phase or aspect of your life that you realize is no longer serving you, opening up the possibility of something far more valuable and essential. You must close one door to open another. You need to put the past behind you and part ways, ready to embrace the new opportunities and possibilities. Similarly, death shows a time of significant transformation, change, and transition. You need to transform yourself and clear away the old to bring in the new. The death card has elements of a sudden and unexpected change. Death happens to everyone, no matter who you are, how much money you have where you live or what color your skin is it is the same with significant change so the death card can be a sign you may feel as though you are caught in the path of sweeping change and you cannot escape its effects especially if accompanied by the tower or the hanged man finally it is a sign death is a sign that you need to learn to let go of unhealthy attachments in your life to pave the way to a fuller more fulfilled life of deeper meaning and significance death teaches you to let go of outworn and outgrown ways of life and move forward from them. Other popular names for the card include Nyx, Hades, Rebirth, etc. Pretty much anything that falls into a kind of mythological death name. For pop culture references, we have the Marvel Terror and Anime Tarot. Uh, The Marvel Tarot was a 2007 release of basically a Marvel character who was a magical fellow in the magical community who has this um, tarot deck that he draws to see various things about the Marvel Universe. And so the issue is his journal where he's making all the notes about the tarot draws and other um, magical things in the Marvel Universe. He assigns each of the cards of the Major Arcana to a character, more or less each of them, For the death card, the character that he pulls is Vampire by Night, a.k.a. Nina Price. What he writes is, I consulted several of my seedy spies and numerous occult oracles, but could could find no useful information on the subject of the death card. Finally, my cat, Fix, told me about a conversation she had with the neighborhood stray dogs who had spoken to a coyote imprisoned in the nearby zoo. The coyote had witnessed a rather curious thing, smelling of both wolf and death. A creature shaped like a human female had locked herself inside one of the nearby cases. She stood still as a corpse for almost an hour, and then when the moon was full and blazing in the sky, her shape changed to that of a huge white wolf. The coyote spoke of a smattering of the lupine tongue, so he listened as the white wolf raged against the case and told her story. A descendant of the Darkhold, Tainted Grigori, the wolf, whose mortal name was Nina Price, was cursed to become a werewolf upon her 18th birthday. An attack by a vampire twisted the curse in unexpected ways, making her a werewolf-vampire mix. The fact that she is undead probably factors into her appearance on the death card, but transformation is also a quality that... of the card and the vampire by night's bizarre existence is all about transformation from one state to another to another definitely a creature worth watching i would really love for the Marvel tarot to be kind of redone and modernized um because it is really you know kind of cheap kind of shitty graphic effects and things um we could do better than that but the texts stay the same if they don't want to redo that. That's fine, I suppose, for the most part. Anyway, for the anime tarot, (laughs) the death card is of course, Tracoon. The anime anime tarot is by Natasha Iglesias and explores the archetype symbols, and magic in anime. So opening it up to card number 13 and death in the little guidebook, what it says is death's best analog in anime is Tracoon. In many isekai shows, main characters are killed in our world by trucks or occasionally cars, affectionately known to meme enthusiasts as truckkun. While truckkun does cause one form of ending, the character is dead in their original world. It's an integral part of the main character's transportation to a new world, one where they can explore, learn and grow. The villain, or sorry, the real story cannot begin until the previous one ends shuruk is not a villain, it's the catalyst for a new adventure. And she lists that shuruk appears in Kocho, or, sorry, Kono Ocho Tomare, Sounds of Life, Yu Yu Hakusho, Stein's Gate, Fuka, Jobless Reincarnation, and Death Note. To summarize the death card, whether it's lively dancing skeletons, severed heads emerging from the earth, or a fully clothed grim reaper pointing the way forward, This card has always implied that death clears the way for renewal. Trump number 13 is a little more than halfway through our journey. There is much more to experience after passing through this threshold of the death card. The manga section of the podcast is just going to be a couple of quick things. We do not, aren't doing a manga of the week, but I did want to note that this past week, My Dress Up Darling Volume 9 was released. I was hoping to finish it before I did this episode, but... I have not even had a chance to start catching up with comics and everything else. It's very, very cute. Uh, flipping through it, it looks like we're getting a number of new characters. Uh, quite a few new characters that I don't recognize, actually, so that's pretty exciting. Plot expanding, moving forward, etc. Um, so go ahead and check that one out if you have been following that series or if you enjoyed the anime. I highly recommend checking out the series. Uh, In manga news, I did mention I was going to go over the Joker, Batman, and Superman manga uh, DC comics. We have had two issues of the Joker 1, Joker Operation 1 or something like that, Uh, and then Batman Justice Buster has had one issue, and so has Superman vs. Meshi, which is the shortest one to talk about at all because it's just a cute Superman trying to eat as much food as possible, Um, (laughs) and nobody in Japan knows that he's actually a superman because they think that he's a cosplayer anyway it's cute uh batman justice buster i feel like is a lot of setup issue in the first setup in the first issue um, and then they'll probably get a lot more intense going down the line but joker one number one and two was really very good um does a really great job of capturing the ludicrousness uh ludicrosity you might say of the joker ludicrosity is actually a really good comic series um so I think, if you haven't in these first two issues, uh, definitely get it on the collected edition when it's completely been out and translated, because it is very funny. Moving on to the comic book segment, uh, we have got a bit to talk about here for news, specifically things that are coming in October, but before that, just two Marvel-related things to mention. Uh, first off, if you don't know the character Spider-Boy, basically, uh, we talked about it briefly or Adam had talked about it briefly in the past on past episodes. Basically, Dan Slott is trying to retcon all of previous um, early Spider-Man issues that there was always a uh, Spider Boy there who was his sidekick. <laughs> um, obviously, seems kind of stupid, but apparently they're going to try and do that across like every major superhero line that they have. That you know, Black Cat had one, and Iron Man had one, and. Captain Marvel, like, it's just... It's a little silly. But I have the article there from Marvel.com in the podcast notes, if that is something that you're actually interested in. Uh, The other note being that Greg Capullo has made his return to Marvel. He has spent all, if not most of the last decade, um, pretty much... I'm not sure if he was exclusively DC, but he was certainly not over there at Marvel. Um He did a lot, a lot of work with Batman um, and Scott Snyder and some bigger Batman events even up until the past few years. So him moving over to Marvel is a little bit of a big deal. They also kind of screwed him over in the past um, as a lot of artists in the 90s were (laughs) screwed over pretty poorly. um, At many publishers, not just Marvel or DC, but the fact that he's back at Marvel now tells me they gave him a great deal. So that's good. Um, and he put up a social media post saying how grateful he was for the fans to be excited for him to uh, be taking the next step over there at Marvel. So that's really good to hear as well. Which brings us to the solicitations for the Big Two in October, things that are going to be new between Marvel and DC Comics. Uh, Marvel has a little bit more, so we'll put them first here. Uh, Not a new thing, but just because I love Madeline Pryor, you should know that by now if you've been listening for a while, uh, she is going to be appearing in Jean Grey number three as well as continuing her own Dark X Men series. Huzzah! In October, we are also getting Captain Marvel number one, the new series, highest, furthest, fastest. Hopefully, we'll actually get there this time. Uh, by Alyssa Wong and Jean Bazaldua, um, who is one of the Marvel Stormbreakers. And we have a number of covers, including a costume cover, because, you know, Jenna Partell did design her a new Captain Marvel suit. So that one is going to be a variant cover as well as a virgin variant cover without any of the trade dress. Trade dress meaning barcode, Marvel Signia, title, all that. It'll be just the art. Um, so what it says is basically, it says... The captain gets a permanent glow-up designed by superstar artist Jen Bartel, and that's not all that's changed. Brand new look, brand new creative team, and brand new status quo. Carol Danvers is one of the powerhouses of the Marvel Universe, a woman capable of harnessing the energy of the sun. So if you're coming for Earth, she's the first one to take you off the board. Someone's fig- the worst first one you take off the board. Gotcha. Someone's figured out how just to do that. Introducing a new supporting cast and villains both beloved and dangerously fresh, Bloody ball kicks off here. Okay, yep. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but not having very much expectation, so I don't get disappointed. Similarly, with Sensational She-Hulk, uh, I have a link in the podcast notes about a interview with Rainbow Rowell, the artist... Sorry, the writer, uh, is also the writer of the current series. It's just going to be transitioning into Sensational She-Hulk number one in October. Uh, Rainbow Rowell and Jessica Gao are writing it. André, Genole and... It says TVA are going to be the artists. I guess it's going to be two different stories. Covers are going to be by Jen Bartel. And of course, there is a, an enormous amount of artists who are going to be doing the number one, including Liri Lee, Brian um, Gonzalez, Adam Hughes, Scotty Young, Lucas Wernick, Audi Granov, Adi Granov, Granov Mokran uh, Just a lot of really cool names there. So definitely check that out in October. The Captain Marvel one-shot we're getting is called Assault on Uneven by Anthony Oliveira, who is so-so and an artist who I guess hasn't even been assigned yet. But the cover will be by Carlos Gomez. It's a story of Captain Marvel going to save the Cree homeworld. We have two big Jonathan Hickman things kicking off in October. That is Gods, number one, alongside Valerio Shitty, and The Ultimate Universe, number one, alongside Stefano Caselli. Again, I have no doubt by now, if you've been listening for a while, that you know that I am a big Jonathan Hickman fan, so that's going to be very fun to see those. Uh, Gods number one, we have covers by um, Mahmoud Asrar, Peach from Moco, Mateus Manhanini, uh, a lot of really cool ones. Ultimate Universe, we have Brian Hitch, Lionel Francis Yu, uh, Ben Harvey, and some other fun ones like Stefano Caselli. White Widow is getting a four-issue series by Sarah Gailey. With art by Alessandro Miracolo. Miracolo? Yeah, I did that right. Cover by David Marquez. Variant covers by Adam Hughes. Art Germ, Leary Lee. And TBA, it says. Yelena Belova returns. Crypt of Shadows number one is going to be their Halloween one-shot this year over there at Marvel. Writers include Al Ewing, Sarah Gailey, Steve Orlando, Kevin Scott, and Declan Shelby. Artists include Paul Azeseta, Alex Lins, Ider Mesias, Devmalia Pramanik, and more for both of those. We have some fun covers. It says, Reopening the Crypt, once again, as All Hallows Eve draws nigh. The dust-covered slab that seals shut the crypt, blocking out the sun and casting it forever into shadow, has creaked open to let the darkness loose, to prey upon the Marvel Universe. Be they mercenary or mage, guided by law or rage, our heroes will face their terror and they'd best pray their spines are sturdy enough for the job, or the crypt they find may well be their own. We also have the It's Jeff, Jeff verse number one, which is, uh, I believe, the Marvel Unlimited. um, Let's see, it says, yep. Collecting issues 13 through 24 of the Marvel Unlimited issues by Kelly Thompson and Guri Hiro, who are the duo of Japanese female artists. The dangerously adorable Jeff the Landshark returns. Another one-shot for Halloween is Hollow's Eve, The Big Night by Erica Schultz, art by Michael Dowling. Uh, this is going to be a spin-off of the Hollow's Eve series that is actually being extremely well-recepted for a character who is very mishandled by Zeb Wells. Uh, this one is, this is... It's October 31st at ESU, and you know what that means. A Halloween party won't go as planned, and a bunch of powerless kids will be in a lot of trouble straight up saying, Yeah, we know this is a cliche. I love it. And she's gonna have to step in and help. So it says then Spine Tingling Spider-Man number one of four will be coming by Sultan Ahmed and Juan Ferreria. Uh, it says Terror continues for the web slinger. He has a fight with Spider Side and has a really bad scary night. It's supposed to be a horror comic. Carnage number one is by Torin Grombeck and Pere Perez with a lot of cool covers by Rose Besch. Marco Mastrazo, Paulo Sequeira, and a couple others. It doesn't look like they decided yet, or are just not announcing. And then, much more briefly, Marvel Zombies Black, White, and Blood, four-shot, which is an anthology series, Wolf for the Howling Commandos, four-shot by Stephanie Phillips and Carlos Magno, and then Dan Slott and his Spider-Boy in Superior Suspir- Sus- Spider-Man Returning. You know what I mean. And that brings us to DC Comics, where in October they have a little, uh, a couple of interesting one-shots, I don't know, you'll see what you think. The first we have is Justice, well not one-shots, they're number ones kicking things off, be more clear about that. Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong is going to be written by Brian Bucallero, Bucallero, and art by Christian Duce, Duce? Duce, not sure, sorry. Um, That sounds chaotic. Then we have Batman, Catwoman, The Gotham War, Scorched scorched Earth number one as a one-shot. That is apparently the final chapter of the crossover, so that's probably the only one I'm going to read. We have three different series coming for new characters, not new characters, but old characters who have been brought forward. They include Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, Jay Garrick, The Flash, and Alan Scott, Green Lantern. we got three different series for those guys respectively by Robert Venditti, Jeremy Adams, and Tim Sheridan. Amazon's Attack is coming from Josie Campbell with art by Vasco Georgiev, covers by Clayton Henry, Henry, Mike Diodato Jr., Megan Hetrick, who I'm a big fan of, and more. This one is going to be, it looks like, moving forward from the events of Wonder Woman. Um, which at that point I think is going to have you know, be on its second or so issue. Superman hits issue 850, written by Joshua Williamson. It's going to have art by a variety of artists. Supergirl special number one, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Skylar Patridge. A girl interrupted after joining the Superman family and their heroic efforts in Metropolis. Kara thought she had found her place in the world but there's only room for one Supergirl in town, and Power Girl's sudden appearance has made her redundant. Nice. Let's have her work out that side of it. Return of Superman 30th Anniversary Special is written by a number of people and drawn by a number of people, including we got Dan Juergens, Travis Moore, Louise Simonson, Dan Juergens again. (laughs) It'll be an interesting one, I'm sure. Uh, And then Batman City of Madness, coming from DC Black Label as a three-issue series. Written by Christian Ward and drawn by Christian Ward, who is pretty fantastic. So I don't even need to know what it's about. I'm, I'll be there. And then, of course, the jokey one. The one-shot for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Because somebody might buy it, I'm sure. Catching up with comics that have been coming out over the past few weeks. Uh, we'll go over a couple of things. And then we'll talk all of the Night Terrors that I was behind on. So you'll be completely caught up with everything up until the comics that are coming out this week, starting today. Um, But before that, we have a few fun things. I really got to give kudos to the creative team on Tales of the Teen Titans, who kicked off the the anthology-ish run with a Starfire story in a remarkable way. Truly remarkable. Um, I have never really cared that much about Starfire Yeah, she's she's attractive. She's kind of cool, sure. But, like, I I don't really care beyond that. It's not my favorite thing. I I don't dislike her. I just never really found it interesting. Um, Wow, holy shit. Uh, After reading this, (laughs) I suddenly see myself in Starfire. And that is wild. I never thought I would be in that position for that character. Uh, Completely 10 out of 10. Art germ cover helps a lot, but I didn't even know it had an art germ cover when I was reading it. Um, really, really fantastic artwork, fitting perfectly with the story. I'm sure somebody out there is bitching about how it's not voluptuous or whatever, but that's not the point of the story, and it really captured the point of the story. Um, did a really good job touching on a lot of things that I think people have been wanting to be touched on with Starfire. One thing specifically was her relationship with Barbara Gordon, who is still their oracle. And somewhat sort of married to Nightwing, who I believe she should be dating. Don't hate me, but Starfire and Nightwing, I believe, are a better couple than <laughs> Barbara and Nightwing, but okay. Um, but it, they covered that beautifully. I just. Front page to last page, really fantastic issue. I cannot recommend it enough. Hot Girl number one, I don't have quite as much praise. It was good. I. It's just everything is going to sound bad after that. <laughs> after the praise I gave Tales of the Titans number one. But Hawk Girl number one was really, really good. Um, not a character, a character I am familiar with, um, I've seen in certain places and certain events. Don't know why they still call her Hawk Girl when she is clearly a woman. <laughs> um, and there is no Hawk Woman. To be there for her to take the girl to have to stick with the girl one, unlike Batgirl who has Batwoman who's already got that title. You know, yes, Supergirl should be Superwoman. I've been saying that as well for years. Anyway, I really liked this first issue. It looks like it's kind of giving her a new status. Not really a new status quo, but like very clearly making it a thing where, yeah, I haven't really been around for a while, but I'm gonna I'm here now and I'm finding my place in I guess it was Gotham or Metropolis or something, but yeah. Um, I'll be reading the next issue for sure. Red Sonia number one from Toran Grombeck was good. Um, it was fine. I have a really hard time with Red Sonia series, and I've seen a lot of hate specifically towards her non-bikini outfits in the recent decade or two of Red Sonja series. Um, I just got a little distracted with that thought when I'm reading this one and she's in the bikini again because I feel like they only put her in the bikini because they knew people would bitch about it. (sighs) Whatever. Um, But it was fine. Uh, Blade number one, I liked a little bit more than that. It is by Brian Edward Hill, this run. Uh, Fun fact, if you felt like there was a lot of focus and detail and stuff on the car side of the story, um, which was, I'm sure if anybody else wrote it fairly minimal, Yes, Brian Edward Hill is a major <laughs> gearhead. Um, he did a mini series, I want to say in 2020-ish, maybe even a little before that, called Chariot, which was, I uh, if you read the back of the first issue, basically his love letter to Cars. Um, so that was pretty awesome. It was a really good series, too. Um, so that's worth checking out, as well as, I think, this Blade issue. Um, I liked that the focus wasn't all on text, Unlike some of these, like Something Epic, number three, which had way too much writing once again. But the thing is, I I, I skipped all those sections. Like, straight up skipped them. Didn't read them. Everything made perfect sense. That is too much- that's how I know it. I'm not just being lazy. It really is too much writing. I can skip the massive sec chunks, like, pages at a time. Full pages. And nothing is missed. So... Maybe <laughs> we'll see the story. The story itself, the like the, the base of it is still interesting enough that I'm curious, but I have no idea. And they just aged it up ten years. They just skipped forward ten years. So um, I think it's going to start picking up a little bit now. Big game number one is Mark Millar's continuation, I guess, of the ambassadors. <sighs> it's a bit to explain. I think I don't know if I feel like doing it. <laughs> Um, basically back in the eighties, all of history was rewritten, um, to an extent because superheroes were a thing. And then all in one night they wiped them out and made everybody think that it was never real. And so that's, you know, quote unquote, our world then at that point. Right. But then now in the modern timeline, this guy finds like this, um, paleolithic burial, Area with 15 foot long sarcophaguses and this giant screaming head statue in the middle, and that completely obviously in the Paleolithic we were not around as anything back then, uh, so it completely rewrites all of human history. Plus that okay, so so you obviously that side of it is very interesting. Like the rewriting superhero stuff, I it's fine whatever. But what really lost me, <laughs> to be honest, was the when the the villain basically was said to have tried to wipe people out in the COVID virus a couple of years ago. Um, that was just wild cringe. I just <laughs> if you throw in more references like that in the law, I'm completely giving up. We already know that you're politically a bit of a funky dude. So I'm giving you quite a bit of leeway that I'm, I'm even reading this but we'll see how it goes. We'll see if there's another COVID reference and I need to just throw it on the floor. Um, please don't put COVID references and stuff. It makes it weird. Moon Knight, City of the Dead, I pretty much skimmed the issue because I knew it was going to be the first appearance of Layla as a Scarlet Scarab, slash MCU Layla. Uh, it was fine, whatever. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder had three stories in it, um, starting with the one that makes the least amount of pain, you have Get- makes the amount of pain- least amount of sense, you have Get Gaggy, Gaggy is a Joker sidekick, I guess, by Paul shear and Nick Giovanetti, and Tom Riley. Uh, he's just a little guy. It was weird. Not gonna lie. Um, Push for the Pain by Leia Williams and Natasha Bustos was a brutal look at gymnastics that um, was kind of like sappy until Harley tortures the shit out of her gymnastics coach and almost kills her. That was kind of fun. Um, and then The Man of Steel, spelled S-T-E-A-L, by Chipsarsky and Kevin McGuire, was one of the funniest things I've read in a very long time. <laughs> I cannot recommend that enough. If you are going to buy this issue for one reason alone, let it be the humor in that story, because that was perfect. Absolutely loved it. Best story of Harley I've read in a very long time. So now we're at Night Terrors. Let's catch up with the DC's current event, uh, starting with Night Terrors number one, which I guess is like a follow up to the Night Terrors number one they did last time. Uh, really cool surprise. I did not know he was on this, but Caspar Wingard, who I'm sure I'm pronouncing the last name at least wrong. Uh, he is on this one, which is awesome. I will read anything that he does the art for because it's fantastic. Uh, All Against All was one that he did and another was Homesick Pilots, both of which I highly recommend. Anyway, um, this villain Insomnia they had, I, I made some notes while I was reading it, so I'll just kind of read them to you. It's, uh, he would have looked way cooler without the fur on his coat, and he says he's the god of nightmares, so why isn't he called Nightmare? Oh yeah, Marvel, ha ha ha. But like Dream, meaning Dream from the Vertigo, previously well, was previously Vertigo uh, comics, also deals in nightmares, so he likely just made that up based on his ability to make you see yours, not actually related to Vertigo comics. Potentially, I was thinking maybe they were going for the opposite of the Sandman with his name, Sandman and Insomnia, since obviously they didn't go for Nightmare, because Dream was his real name, you know? And then, yep, a minute later, I, re- I get to the page where it shows reveals he was in an asylum when he was hit with the Lazarus rain that gave him these powers, and it does hint that he had a past with a happy family, but that is what he is afraid of remembering. At one point... Dead man who is still inside Batman's body, um, which is a little bit <laughs> problematic, but whatever. Um, he says, You're not a god, you're just some dude, which is genuinely hilarious and exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> um, and then, uh, let's see, it says a few heroes, the few awake heroes were the ones who saved pretty much the rest of the world when everybody else fell asleep, like the planes were crashing and stuff. And then a dead man goes and he wakes uh, Wesley Dodds with the Lazarus serum from the dead. If you're wondering who that is, Wesley Dodds was the Sandman, a Golden Age mystery man. With a gas gun, he could put his enemies to sleep. He was a member of the Justice Society and had a sidekick, Sandy the Golden Boy. And it clarifies in the comic that that is his nightmare stone. Um, that he's looking for so pretty much confirming no this is going to have absolutely nothing to do with the vertigo comics uh the sandman they were talking about was wesley dodds not drained from uh you know sandman but that's where we're at um night tariffs number two continuing the main story i suppose continues actually this week The rest of them I'm going to go through pretty quickly because they're all all going to be two shots and they all have their first issues, more or less, that have come out. I think this week is the last week of first issues and then next week they're going to start with the number two of these two shots. Number twos. Um, So Zaytana number one has excellent David Baldione art. And Incantation is what kept her awake. There is a sick-ass trio of creepy villains, no idea who they are. Uh, She calls for a champion, but everybody's asleep, so it's Robot Man who shows up from Doom Patrol. She is not pleased, but they are able to save Wonder Woman and Professor Chimp, or Detective Chimp, isn't it? Uh, But then Cliff is turned evil, so that sucks. The Joker one was kind of funny, if a little bit long-winded, because it starts off in his dream, where Batman is on the roof with him fighting, Batman trips and falls and literally dies on accident. It's really funny. And then from there, he just tries to have a normal life, and, you know, it's obviously his nightmare. Uh, Flash number one, Wally dies fighting Grodd by himself. Uh, He's killed by something in the Speed Force. Hal is held alive by pure willpower. Um, He's like a zombie thing. (laughs) And then Barry goes back in time to try and save Wally, but Barry turns out, I'm pretty sure he's going to turn out at least, to be the thing that killed Wally. Uh, Shazam number one, all of the kids die, and then Mary like, wakes up tied up to a thing, and Billy is Black Adam now, and he brings all the kids out and literally slaughters them all right in front of her one by one. It's kind of brutal. Robin number one is Jason and Tim versus Captain Boomerang and Red Hood, the original Red Hood, you know, with the like, can on his head. Rappinger, number one, uh, she is in a dream where she has to help an alternate reality herself, who is not completely messed up by her childhood. Green Lantern, number one, he goes to his dad's funeral as a child, and there's a zombie in the coffin, and there's a Sinestro side story. Black Adam, number one, he is sent to a mishmash version of Condock in the past, sees his wife and son killed by Amut, and then Batman arrives asking him for help. I'm pretty sure Batman's just going around picking people out of their dreamscapes somehow. Wonder Woman number one, she is in her dream with Detective Chimp and Constantine, and it has a Nubia side story. Superman number one, the creature thing that we saw, the like evil Superman, is him as the last living thing in the universe, which is pretty cool. Kara finds his dreamscape, and then IRL, the Atlanteans find Clark's body unconscious on a beach, among a bunch of other people. Punchline 1, uh, the gas masks are what keep her and her crew awake. She thinks she killed that girl, but then she goes um, to the Oracle like base, I guess, and an electronic Oracle zombie robot thing ends up attacking her. So I think she's actually asleep. Um, Nightwing number one he's put in Arkham after he kills Batman and Catwoman number one I know I, I did not understand I know about her sister but like I guess the nightmare was that her sister was a vigilante as well so whatever and what the fuck is that cover how did that get approved It looks real bad <laughs> to wrap up the comic segment stuff to look forward to coming out Really, this week at this point, we have Ultimate Invasion number no. two by Hickman. Hellcat number no. five is a roundup, uh, final issue of that series. Per Evil number no. one by Mirka Andolfo and, um, Laura Braga. Then we have a couple of indie one, uh, number no. ones. It's The Ribbon Queen and Murder by Mail. And then we have Batman Beyond Neo Gothic number no. one, which is the only other, um, real, yeah, non-Night Terror's DC thing besides Poison Ivy Uncovered is just a collection of covers that they did for Poison Ivy. Um, then we have Avengers number 3, Silk number 3, Vampirell versus the Superpowers number 3, Hollow's Eve number 5, She-Hulk 15, and Monstrous 46. For Marvel, uh, there before the fall X-Men thing, we have the Hellfire Gala 2023 this week, so that might be I mean, last year's kind of sucked, so I won't get my hopes up. And then Night Terrors at DC Comics, you have Night Terrors number two and the last batch of number one, one shot or two shots. Action Comics number one, Angel Breaker number one, Detective Comics number one, Harley Quinn number one, and Titans number one. Okay, so into the TV, movies, and anime, we are now joined by Adam who will be piping in where it is relevant. Okay, hey. that was relevant. Um, summer anime season, four things that have an English job. There's a couple of real generic ones. Uh, Liar Liar, I thought I would enjoy more. That is super generic school game competition thing. Uh, Reborn as a Vengeing Machine, I now Wander the Dungeon was highly enjoyable, not gonna lie. The Great Cleric was fine. Rain of the Seven Spellblades is gonna end up being wild complex, probably, for no reason. Uh, Tempuru was questionable. That was the one that you watched, the guy with the red hair who was um, screaming about not wanting a girlfriend.
1: Oh, yeah. That was weird. Yeah, that was...
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it was because, like, his dad was, like, a pervert or something, yeah. and, like, stained the family name, and then so... Yeah, yeah, it's very, very interesting. strange. Yeah, we'll give it the three-episode rule, I yeah. guess. <laughs>
0: Sugar Apple Fairy Tale is back at the second half, or part two, or whatever they're calling it. It's still fun. And then Rent a Girlfriend season three started. The main character is still pathetic and kind of annoying, but uh, it's, it's, it's. See you next week, as they say. Um, okay, so that leaves us with the non anime things. Minx season two was moved from HBO to Stars because, for whatever reason, HBO kicked it, and Stars saw that people wanted it, so they picked it up. Uh, first episode was pretty much felt like the other ones in the past. Um, picks up, I think, not too long after the season ended. Um, they got new, they got a new publisher really easily. Were going separately and decided to team up to try and get this publisher, and they did it. It seemed really easy. I feel like it's going to go horribly wrong. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I really like what you said about how it kind of feels like Um, they didn't skip a beat uh, from the last season to the next. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's really funny. Um, how kind of, um, Jake Johnson started to realize like, oh yeah, you know, I, I kind of need her to keep this thing going. Mm -hmm. Um, and then her having that moment with the businesswoman of like, yeah, he's helped me, but like, please never tell him. Yeah, of course I'll never (laughs) tell him that. Uh, That was really funny. Um, and, and yeah, just the dynamic of it's just the, it's the kind of the, it's a really callback to the days of like, you know, people doing passion projects and like getting, getting, you know, famous and well-known off doing something you enjoy. And it's kind of funny, like what was the one guy he's making pictures in his kitchen while he's also doing a side job, <laughs> yeah. you know, just that kind of fun stuff with it all where it's like, oh yeah, you know, a lot of these things that you see is like big culture changing things just start out as somebody in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Uh, Dragon Prince sees up with season five early. I think it was only about a week early. But more importantly, we watched they clone Tyrone. Um, it was really, really good. It was Tayona Paris, John Boyega, and Jamie Fox as like a anarchy trio almost uh, from the hood. And you wanted something you wanted to share?
1: Yeah, I saw somebody they they described it really well. And I said they clone Tyrone as a little bit of Get Out, undercover brother, Black Dynamite, and Boondocks all blended together. Um, I thought I thought that kind of nailed it perfectly, um, especially the uh, the the black dynamite and boondocks thing, because it really kind of goes into a lot of, you know, the 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 conspiracy theories, you know, the have of mm-hmm. putting stuff into like the, the lower income neighborhoods, pumping drugs in there and putting stuff in the water, putting stuff in the food. Um, but it, it puts like a fun take on it. It's still you understand the gravity of, you know, the conspiracy theory of it all and how it affects people. But it's still like, you know, they have a great lens of kind of making it still like chuckle, you know, you can chuckle at mm-hmm. some parts of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, completely absurd,
1: but <laughs> somehow
0: also rooted in reality.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's it's perfect. Um, and I love how it had the feel of like the the 70s black exploitation films.
0: Definitely. Very much. <laughs> yeah. They, they very purposefully changed the like the vibe of a modern day hood and people there to throw in a lot more heavier of those 70s references so it was almost like archer where it felt like a movie out of time it was just like oh yeah it's the 70s but everybody's got shitty cell phones what was it supposed to be like we figured out it was like 2004 or something yeah it had to
1: be like the mid-2000s because uh jamie fox's character made a reference about winning something in 1995 and they had yeah. flip phones
0: yeah yeah, but it just, it just felt so, so leaning so hard on the, the Blaxploitation 70s kind of vibe that it it almost felt like a sort of Archer thing, where they came out and, you know, they said Archer takes place in the 70s, but they gave him cell phones just to make it easier. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, John Boyega and Jamie Jamie Foxx in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they... They, it's it's really cool to see, like, you know, Jamie Foxx, who's been around it for... you've been around in Hollywood and movies for a while, and then somebody like John Boyega, who's, like... I, don't, I wouldn't say that he's, like, not well-known, but, like, he's he's really starting to, like, branch out now that he's not under the Star Wars umbrella of doing mm-hmm. movies. Um, and then I really thought Tiona Paris and Jamie Foxx had great chemistry together, mm-hmm. especially because there was a lot of times when they were, like, you know, the riffing of talking shit back and forth was definitely felt like improv, but it really worked well for the scene. Definitely. I would for sure watch that
0: again. I <laughs> I would love to see more movies of this kind of style. Mm. Um, so hopefully the writer's strike and the actor's strike will be resolved happily so we can get more of this kind of stuff properly. Pretty much all of the news for anything movies, TV, etc. This week comes from San Diego Comic Con 2023. Um, we've heard a lot of the different takes that are all kind of pretty much the same um, about the difference of this year's Comic-Con. Of course, a few weeks ago, you had people who were scrambling about going, Oh no, what is the point of Comic-Con if you don't have Hollywood and the movies and the stars? Um, that's not a concern, really, as it turns out. And I don't think anybody... I don't know if it means that less people showed up, but... Um, uh, it apparently was a very enjoyable experience for the people who were there. Uh, and that's good to hear. It was a big of a focus on the creators and the actual comics behind all of these big headlining titles and movies and things. Um, so that's really nice that people were actually able to take the time and say hello to these creators and the people they've supported for years. And look around and see things that maybe they wouldn't have seen if they were rushing or rather, more likely, standing in panel lines for hours at a time, missing everything else. Um, what I think they did for some of the panels um, was pretty much just showing... Like, like I know they did um, the Dragon Prince they released early, and I'm sure that was shown there. Um, I know the seventh episode of Strange New World Season 2, the crossover with Luller Dex... Um, it's, we've watched it, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it was shown there. Um, stuff like that, which I honestly feel like it's perfectly fine for if you're trying to do big reveals and things. We do have some articles, um, of what was actually announced. Some of them are actually pretty sparse. Um, you can tell that people will definitely, or rather the media, I guess, was missing the, the stars and stuff. They're used to having a lot more interview stuff to put in here, but, um, I'll just, I'll just leave the links in there. You get... Um, we'll go over the action figure reveals because some of those are pretty interesting and worth mentioning at least. But there's some big movie and TV reveals, the DC comic reveals, um, and then there's two that I have for everything announced. And obviously we'll talk the Marvel's trailer in a second uh, when we finish here because that's going to be my biggest breakdown on the episode. Um, and that was, of course, announced or released because of Comic-Con as well. The two big um, reveals for action figures came from, or other big company reveals for Mezco and for Hasbro. Um, There's a lot of stuff for Mezco. You get the mask, you're getting a armored Nightwing, um, some G.I. Joes, some Power Rangers. You get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What's his name? Casey. Casey, yes. Thank you. Um, So there's some fun stuff for Mezco fans. what I wanted to kind of bring up more was the ludicrosity with Hasbro still, because it's such a mixed bag. (laughs) Um, Looks like they did a a lot of um, you know, they have the Transformers, uh, obviously they have Star Wars, Black Series, which people apparently still buy, Um, and then things that are coming out for their Marvel Legends line is kind of what I was going to focus on. The Um, the carded ones, they're giving a carded, uh, Gambit, so good for Gambit fans, I guess. It's the same carded everything that, uh, we've been doing for years now, the X-Men stuff, so there you have it. Oh, and Magneto, Magneto's carded, Bishop is carded, um, you were saying this one looks like the... Was it this one?
1: Yeah, yeah. The, these are all for the the the, in, the new animated series coming out to Disney Plus. Oh, okay, plus, it's X-Men the new one. All right. Yeah, but I really this is a this is the this is a I guess more comic accurate look of Bishop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I really dig that he's all new. He looks pretty awesome, and it's the short hair version.
0: And then you get Rogue, Storm, Wolverine. Anything different about the Wolverine? Um,
1: the Wolverine and Magneto are the same body. It's just pinless and a pretty new. I, I dig the new the head sculpt. It's pretty nice. But it's it's like I think it's like the third or fourth time they've released all of them.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: I, I'm, I'm kind of irritated with the fact that, yes, the Storm is all new and they get her pinless. But still no double elbows. Her and Rogue.
0: Yeah, they should be able to touch their heads. And this does look like it's an original design as well yeah. because it's the suit with that haircut, mm-hmm. which are completely different eras for the character Storm. Yeah. And then what is this one? It's
1: from the Spider-Man animated show. Oh, they show. escaped so, their cool box. Yeah, so instead of doing a, a subline for this, they're just doing it all in two packs because it's to make it look like VHS. Just trying to hit on that nostalgia for people who are like,
0: Smite. you know, diehards
1: for the the animated show.
0: The su- Spider-Man and Smythe. Yeah.
1: But it's kind of cool. People get an animated show, Peter Parker. I know they've been wanting that for a while.
0: So then in the regular box, which the art shows the plastic box. Are they still They're, doing that? They
1: actually are going back to the window ha. packaging because ha. as you've seen the, the swaps and people oh, just... so bad. This, well, well, the main two things is the swaps, one, but then people started to noticing the dip in QC because my theory was that they, it wasn't... it them doing the the windowless packaging wasn't for the environment that's bullshit hasbro does not gonna fuck about the environment it's all about to cut quote co- to cut costs on qc because apparently i saw after that that hasbro cut 15 percent of their qc departments across the company so that's why they did the windowless packaging the was said so that they could get by on shit qc and as you've seen i'm sure people if you have any kind of vein in the community you've seen a lot of people with not just the swaps but like Paint is coming out completely messed up and mm-hmm. fucked up on figures because, you know, you don't have the window box to go, okay, cool, he looks good.
0: Yeah, so good thing we're getting that back. <laughs> that was dumb. Uh, we're getting the Marvel Knights. They're saying it's Marvel Knights Daredevil. It looks just like the Zardski Daredevil that he's got going right now, who's been doing the stuff with the hand or the fist or whatever it is. Um, it's basically the Electra suit on Matt Murdock. Yeah, they'll look um, good together. This is a bit of a... I got, I got some tape. I just uh, eh, eh. obviously massive fan of Clea. Been waiting for somebody to make a figure of her for years. Um, check out my podcast special if you want to hear about her. So they're doing a Clea. It's the current Clea in the comics, um, but it's you know I was looking at it's like oh it's fine, and then you look back at the actual what's in the, on the comic, and it's it actually is pretty low key on everything um for starters well she's got two issues with the face well three issues one is only one head two classic emotionless hasbro female head not a hint of emotion three it does not look like clea at all it looks like maybe a barbie doll face they put on there um Apparently they're using photoreal for this, so I have no idea what image they took this from, but I can guarantee you it was not from a Clea picture. Uh, I've never seen her look like this. It's very strange. Um, What I was hoping is that we would get a classic Clea, and then they would be able to build off of her classic look and keep certain parts of it that are integral to the look, like the curly hair, which they kind of have here. Um, But whatever, we're getting this. At least they sculpted the shoulders in, and she's got a couple of new parts. I can't tell if she has double-jointed elbows. She doesn't, sadly. She doesn't. Yeah. Again, it'd be nice if she could touch her head. Um, and then if you go back... new
1: hands, Okay.
0: Yeah, if you go back and look at what this costume actually looks like, um, what they gave her is pretty much just what's on the figure. It's, it's the tights, it's the leotard, and the little sash, and her gloves. Um... The costume is more than that. The costume has a front skirt part that goes uh, like between the legs, the front and the back, like that. It also has a kind of Dormammu headpiece and a lot more detail on the blue, bluish-purple portion of the front, which they put zero detail on. So, you know, it sucks still. (laughs) I'll have to get it because I don't have a fucking Clea. But, by God. Also, the build-a-figure for this wave is the mindless one. Which the whole point of Build-A-Figures is it's something that you want larger and only one of. But this is an army builder, the mindless one. Because they are one of like many hordes of there's yeah. mindless hordes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, again, just odd takes. Other figures in this wave. We've got Iron Man. Yeah, we have Luke Cage in his classic yellow suit. You seem to be a fan of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of one that I've been wanting for a while. Um, just because... Uh, I kind of love that like cheesy suit era of him.
0: Um, And then we're getting, then you get a hand random hand ninja figure and a couple of other things from Hasbro as well. Uh, Feel free to check out the links in the podcast notes to see detailed, very detailed pictures. Going through the Marvels trailer, um, definitely recommend that you check out the version if you haven't seen it. Um, I'm going to hit on a couple of points. I hope I put it in an order that kind of makes sense. Um, uh, starting with Darben, who is that is the name of our villainess. She has a comic can of art who is male. He is General Darben. And with him, along with Dan and several other Cree soldiers, after growing tired of the rule of Clumsy Foulup, yes, that is the name of their former ruler, plan to assassinate him and rule in his place. To this end, they had a robotic silver surfer created so that Clumsy would die and his death could be placed at the feet of the scrolls. Whatever, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, Then Aldane and Dar-Ben became joint emperors of the Kree Empire. That's the more important part. They were both murdered by Deathbird and their minds were absorbed into the Supreme Intelligence. Uh, Yes, of course, people are already going on about how it's female empowerment BS to have a female villain and change the from a man to a woman, but if it was a male villain, it would be man-hating, so please just stop already. Um, The year is... She is a pink-screen Cree woman in the movie. It's why she gets away with looking like a human and not blue. Um, Possibly a relation of Ronan's. She says that Carol destroyed uh, her life when she kind of took him down and all of that stuff. Um, It took her, apparently, a long time to get to Carol for whatever reason. It's been... 30 years since her first movie at this point, right? Um, But my guess is that she... Kamala's use of the bangle gives her the idea to find the other bangle, because there was two and Kamala only has one. Speaking of Kamala's other bangle, in episode 3 of Ms. Marvel, the clandestines need two bangles to return home. They only find one, and that's the one that's passed down to Kamala Khan. In the Marvels, it seems that Darben has that second bangle plus the Kree hammer, which entangles their light power somehow. Uh, then she knows about the newer dimension stuff. That's kind of my question. How is that connected to Cree lore? Uh, is it the Inhumans or the Mutants or something like that? The newer dimension being where the clandestines were from, which was these bracelets are how they're supposed to be taking home. So we'll see if that gets connected. Uh, for Monica, I do think that part of Monica's arc in the movie will be her le- learning that her powers... Are more than just what she says in this trailer, which is like seeing light uh, that she can actually absorb, control, and manipulate it, and therefore use it to both fly and fight. So, more on the bangles from the Marvels. This is a theory from Jordan Jones on Twitter. It says these bangles, the they include Darben, Kamala's, and Shang Chi's. Even they say they are temporarily linked and created by Kang the Conqueror. There might be a historical relationship between the users and Kang, which would lead to his conquest to reclaim them in Avengers Kang Dynasty. I don't think they need to be linked to Kang or created by Kang for him to want to get them to use them for his ship somehow, because we saw his ship being uh, destroyed in Ant-Man. Of course, that is dead, so who the heck knows what they're going to do to make that work. Um, Also, remember that the Ten Rings symbol appeared in Ms. Marvel, at the place where they found the bangle, and that in the Shang-Chi post credit scene, he's there with Carol Danvers and Bruce Banner saying that uh, the bangles give out that same energy spike. So are we going to see Shang-Chi in this one, or maybe his sister, or is it just going to be the slight disappointment of Bruce Banner? Uh, as for the Carol and Monica relationship, the trailer shows us the ship interior where Carol has saved an article of a local Louisianan uh, going to the stars. It's obviously Monica, uh, keeping track of Monica through the years, which is very nice. We didn't know that was a thing. Are we going to get somebody calling her Capitan Marvelu Because that was how she got her Captain Marvel name in the original comics, was she was in Louisiana and the French Bayou speakers uh, French speakers of the Bayou called her Capitan Mar-Va-Doux. Um In the comics... It is worth noting that Carol and Monica are not all that close. She kind of became an Avenger after Carol left, and was the really the only reason that Carol finally learned of Marvel's death because she was using the term Captain Marvel. Um, she didn't. They didn't really get off to a good start, and it's gotten about as much better as her relationship with Rogue has. On that note, I, when I was thinking about this, I had to write this down. I have to give kudos to Kelly Thompson for concluding her personal story arc. That she starred between Carol and Rogue uh, with the creepy New York Island of Stolen Women, which looking back on was wild, not great. Um, But she made it full circle and had them work together again in the end of the series, so kudos to that. Nick Fury in the Marvels obviously still uh, cool as heck with Carol after, what, now 30 years, it seems. Um, I'm wondering, will they explain her being back again or anything like that? Um, are we going to go into the Cree blood arc at all? Are we gonna say that her mother was Cree? I don't know. Um, that brings up the question of her sister from the comics, Lori L, who is her mother's daughter of a random Cree man who's made a machine. Um, I guess we wouldn't quite need Carol to be Cree for that to work. They could be buddies. That's okay, but it's not great. However, we haven't really seen anything about Carol's actual past in the MCU, besides being a test pilot. So that's actually still pretty open. They could say that that's the reason that she's so powerful. The blast triggered it pretty much exactly like how they say it in the comics now. I definitely don't think that Dar Ben is L'Oreal, their version from the MCU. I think maybe one of the blue-skinned Kree in the background scenes was probably our best bet if they're going to do that. Um, Speaking of Kree hybrid characters, though, Hulkling... Um, if this is the secret invasion of Fallout, now would be the time to introduce him as a leader of the Squirrels at the very least. He doesn't need to be Marvel's son, just a hybrid Cree and Squirrel. Also, what about Wendy, Carol's assistant? Um, is she going to show up? <laughs> she was a big thing in the Kelly Thompson run, or the Kelly Pseudoconic run. Um, also, when did Goose get laid so that he could have Kitty Flurkins, or rather, she? Um, there is also a shot, if you are, have good eyes, you can see that Goose is actually out on Carol's shoulder when she's floating in space in the trailer. Uh, you see a Korean man dancing, and they do a fun little dance scene. Or we usually see a man dancing. He is a Korean movie star um, who is playing a character from one of the Kelly Sue DeConnick arcs. This was Captain Marvel, Volume 8, number 7 through 9. A number of articles are claiming that this uh, Korean actor is playing <laughs> Carol's husband, which took me back, and I actually went back and reread these issues. No, that is not true in any way. I don't know where they got that from. I'm pretty sure they just pulled that out of their butts and made it up to get clicks. Um, but anyway, I read that arc, and how it goes is she's got this friend, Tick, who's an alien. So she's on the ship with Tick Chewy. Uh, and Rocket shows up, starts talking about Chewie being a flerkin. Chewie lays eggs. They hatch the baby Florkins. Enter Leela Chaney, who is a mutant transporter rock star. She got herself engaged to some alien prince on one of her adventures. Uh, he's from the planet of Aldana, so they go to check it out. He's the king's only son. They rhyme. Everything they say is a rhyme. It's always rhymes. They only like rhymes. Uh, he's a big fan of carols. At the wedding, Marlo of Sleen, whoever that is, objects to the prince's marriage Carol fights her on behalf of Lila. Carol wins. Trice stuck the parents out of making the prince marry Lila. And then her alien friend Tick marries him instead. It ends with mentions of Tracy, who was the comic inspiration for the MCU Marvell, who was her, like, um, mentor there. But absolutely in no point of that arc is she married this man. Anyway, um, they're definitely going to do the rhyming thing, because I feel like that's exactly the kind of MCU humor we're going to see. And then the outfits of the dance look pretty phenomenal. Speaking of outfits, to wrap this up, Carol's suit has some interesting changes. If you look closely, it seems that it has the same texture as Kamala's did at the end of her own show. And then the Ms. Marvel suit you see in the trailer gets much, much brighter than it did in her show. Uh, so I'm wondering if this was done on purpose, like if they did that to their suits on purpose, or if the suits ended up got getting warped in the like power link thing, the power mix up. Um, so that's I'm curious how those mine, somewhat minor changes are gonna end up being made. Um, we already know that Carol can change her suit however she wants. so I'm sure she does that and that's why it looks the way that it does, but not sure, not positive um also people were pointing out that carol wears her suit half down when she's on the ship which is kind of cute it very much gives the vibes of um that character from atlantis the the bodyguard the female bodyguard character from atlantis which is exactly the vibe that jen bartell was going for when she was designing her new outfit for the comics so i see this all lining up real well last thing monica trench coat Uh, Monica in the comics is notorious for having this great trench coat. I would love to see her wear that in the comics. Um, Or as in (laughs) she's wearing the comics. In the movie. Um, I feel like they gave her an okay outfit. If you gave her the trench coat though we would all love it. So we'll have to wait and see on November 10th. Um, I'll be there I guess. That leaves us with the two episodes that we got in the past week for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2. Uh, one was a regular episode, and one was released over Comic-Con as the crossover with Lower Decks. I'm not actually sure if that means we're not getting one this Thursday. But it will start with episode 6, which was called Lost in Translation. Uh, this one was really quite interesting. You get a lot more of um, early Kirk, and what I thought was quite endearing was the interactions between him and his brother, who is, of course one of the engineers or whatever on the enterprise currently under Pike. Um, No idea if he survives for his brother to be captain on the ship, but they have a whole big thing of talking about like, Oh, you're the younger brother and you just keep making me look bad because you're doing so great in your Starfleet career making captain or whatever. And here I am just happy in my little lab (laughs) somewhere on the back of the ship. Um, So that was, it was a nice interaction between the brothers uh, the whole thing is basically, they're, the plot of this episode is they're taking, they're refueling, um, or they're setting up a fueling station in this gas cloud where it sucks in the gas and turns that into fuel. Um, and Ahura and this other guy on the ship, who's a red shirt, he dies like immediately. But um, she starts getting these visions of horrible things and death and all this stuff. It's creatures from the gas cloud trying to communicate to her that they're being killed by being turned into these energy matter for the ships. Um, and that they have like full emotion range and stuff and they're intelligent and all that. So they end up abandoning their efforts there and letting the creatures live and go find a new gas cloud. But we also get some good, um, La'an, you know, she has that crush on Kirk, which is really sweet. And so she kind of like purposely bumps into him again when, uh, when she knows that he's on the ship with his brother. And then, of course, in the end, you get a really, really great shot um, of Uhura, of Kirk, and of Spock all sitting at the table together. The big three, you know, from the original series, meeting for the first time. It was particularly funny, because Kirk's brother gets up and walks off and leaves his cup there. And for the last episode, Spock really hates how uh, he does that. He just leaves stuff wherever he goes. And so Spock, that's why Spock ends up at the table because he comes up to clean up after Kirk's brother and introduces himself and then ends up sitting down to talk with them. So really great to have those three reunited or possibly meeting, I guess, for the first time, a sign of great things to come in the future for Star Trek. And then episode seven, which I just watched today, it's called those old scientists. It is the lower decks crossover episode It was released early for comic con uh, those Old Scientists obviously refers to the folks of the Enterprise. Lower Decks takes place about 120 years post uh, the, I guess, Strange New World. Um, and so there's a couple of different things that kind of... Ends up, uh, basically, Boimler accidentally gets sucked through a time portal uh, to where Pike and company are investigating the time portal um, there are, are also the Orions, who are the green species that we know from Lower Decks. Um, in Spock and Pike's time, they are pretty much known as a species of pirates, but due to Boimler's help, they are able to make amends with uh, the group that they have there, give them credit for finding the time portal, uh, or let them take credit for finding the time portal. Um, and then let them be known as a ship of I uh, was Orani, or-, or Orion scientists instead of Orion pilots and that's they said that's all we ever wanted and so that's like great that's literally starting the change of history to where they can do whatever they can be whatever they want in the future it's literally fixing racism <laughs> uh, one step at a time Uh, And then we got some fun, of course, fandom from the Lower Decks characters at their historical figures who they absolutely love and admire, like Uhura and Spock, and how Spock is trying out human emotion now after the last couple of episodes, Um, and it's really throwing everybody off, including Boimler, who's coming from a future where they only ever knew Spock as grumpy, but here he is smiling very... It is rather unsettling. And at one point, you even get Laon giving them advice from her personal thing. Don't create any real kind of relationships or attachments. <laughs> because, of course, she went back and fell in love with Kirk when he went back in time with her. But then, when time fixed itself, she was the only one who remembered. And she can't tell Kirk, hey, we kind of fell in love in this other timeline. Uh, you want to hang out? So she's just trying to find these reasons to hang out with him. It's cute, Okay classic star trek stuff and then of course the end of the episode you see the strange new worlds cast drawn in 2d cartoon like the lower decks cast are it's very fun i enjoyed it a lot they should do more stuff like this and i hope we still get an episode for thursday because that would kind of suck if they just skip a week because of comic-con i don't know we'll see um that's it for this week's episode i am going to be back hopefully in next week for the last episode of july we'll see how that kind of goes um but otherwise stay cool stay hydrated uh keep sweaty and don't be a dickhead